What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today my guest is Matt Gagnon. He is a mindset mogul. I guess that's a good way to put it. He he and I met for the first time at a mastermind conference in Oklahoma that was put on by Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and we just really hit it off. We, we went down the rabbit hole of all things uh, mindset, stoicism, you know, how to overcome hardship, learn from it, and use it, and I really kind of wanted to get him on the podcast and dive into that a little bit deeper, so that's exactly what we did. Got him on here, we hit it off yet again, and we have a lot more in common than I realized, but really enjoyed the conversation. I know you will as well, so without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy this awesome, awesome conversation with Matt Gagnon. And we're live. Matt, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic, brother. It's good Good to have a conversation with you. Last time we saw each other was at uh, that Mindset event in Oklahoma, which was amazing. Um, yeah. And I, I hit it off with you pretty much right off the bat. I feel like everybody hit it off there because it was all from very different walks of life, but it was all about mindset, and I feel like that brings people together. Yeah, I agree. It was, uh, yeah, it was the Do the Work uh, conference with Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and um, – and you're right. I feel like even though we're all different, different walks of life, everyone is there because they have a, a calling to serve other people too. So uh, it was a really great group. Definitely, definitely. You had a chance to to get up and speak, and and you had a pretty inspiring story, man. I'd, I would love to kind of tease the listeners a little bit about your backstory because I mean you've come from you know having quite a few obstacles and hardships, and I feel like that hardens people up and and makes them uh, more stoic in nature. So I'd love to kind of just tease that out a little bit. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so pretty much born and raised in uh, in Maine and now here in Austin, Texas for the past uh, 14 years now. But uh, no, I've had an interesting journey, you know, and uh, I've learned to own that story. But, you know, growing up in a divorced family, uh, you know, learning, uh, you know, been put, was uh, bullied at times, wasn't a natural athlete you know, didn't have the best relationship with food, kind of growing up in the middle of nowhere, then going to high school, losing all the weight, getting in shape, and then, um, you know, becoming an athlete, uh, and then starting college, starting to feel some changes within my moods, uh, within my energy levels. Then I start, you know, working around the clock, man. I start getting praise, start getting money, start getting promotions. And uh, I'm also starting to lose more and more energy, start drinking more and more Red Bull, so, uh, you know, by the time 30 hit, I'm so burned out taking 15 cans of Red Bull a day, uh, along with uh, a, quite a bit of Adderall, uh, my body just decided it was done. And emotionally, I was tapped out too. And that's when, uh, you know, attempted suicide at 30. And, uh, and that, at that point, that was a big turning moment for me. And so, uh, yeah, redirected my life. And then five years ago, uh, shortly after my son was born, uh, I started my own business after going on medical leave. And again, <laughs> going through pretty life changing moment of, uh, taking on a handful of, uh, autoimmune disorders, including the discovery of a traumatic brain injury from a history of concussions. So insane ride. Everybody's got their own journey. Uh, and I choose to share mine, uh, you know, hoping that it, gives permission for others to share theirs, but also to know that, Hey, look, you know, uh, everything we go through is training for something else, something bigger, because look, man, I, I love my life and I love all the experiences I've been through. So, uh, not only did it make me stronger, uh, it didn't harden me. I'd say like, I actually still have, um, I still show strength through vulnerability and I still share the stories, but it has made me stronger. Yeah, so that's when, that's the uh, that's the, the like the two minute version. It's funny, man. When I said the word hardened in that little preliminary intro there, I almost like took it back because it's like that can be yeah. you know interpreted in different ways. And like I wouldn't ever want because like a lot of people hear hardened that like it's like putting up a shell, and I don't feel like that's what you've done. I don't feel like that's what I've done. I feel like the more you know experienced and just the more life that you've gone through the more you know who you are as an individual. And I think that, I mean, I think you're you're more comfortable with being vulnerable when you truly know who you are because you have nothing to prove. 
Yeah. And what I'd say is, is like, it's, it's made me stronger and it's helped me learn boundaries too, with my vulnerability. Cause it would be so easy for me to go down the path and put up some giant walls for my experiences and say, Hey, nobody's getting in here. Nobody's going to hurt me. You know, I am walled off, but man, while you can minimize your hurt and your failures and, and, and people taking advantage of you, you also minimize your joy. Like you just live a very safe life. Yeah. And that's not what I signed up for. So when, prior to 30, when you were kind of, you know, on the, on the seemingly upward trend of all this, uh, you, you were having the concussion that was from the sports you're playing, right? Yeah, that was from uh, high school football and um, some competitive fighting and jujitsu. And then uh, just being a reckless kid. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it to you, man. Um, yeah. So, like, what what were you in business-wise? Like, what was your career path looking like at that point in your life? So, before, like, I was pretty much an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, by the age of eight, I was running a baseball card business, you know, traveling the shows and then, you know, lawn mowing and shoveling sidewalks. You know, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit. But all of a sudden, by the age of, like, 20, like, I got this job with Staples. And it was through my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time. And man, they, uh, I noticed how much praise I got for just hustling my ass off, you know, mm -hmm. which was the same thing that made me successful in sports. I wasn't the smartest, wasn't the most natural athlete or the fastest, but man, I could out hustle your ass. You couldn't break me. And so, uh, yeah, I would just work my tail off there and realize that other people couldn't or just didn't want to. And so, yeah, they kept praising me. They kept paying me more. And then I'd go into the electronics department learned that uh, I could do really well with sales and so mastered more of that. And so, yeah, it was, uh, that helped me take off pretty quickly. And it wasn't until 2006, I completed an internship actually with the San Antonio Spurs in 2003 and was just really on fire. So by 2005, I got introduced to uh, the luxury shoe company, Cole Hahn. And uh, they offered to move me to either Seattle or Austin, Texas. And I already had a taste of Texas, uh, you know, with my time in San Antonio. So I was like, let's do this. And so they moved me out here. And that's history from there, man. Like I had five epic years with Cole Hahn where I had responsibilities and opportunities to do things at a you know, young age, around 25, 26, that, man, I know I wouldn't have had anywhere else. They were a Nike-owned company but they were very entrepreneurial at the time and we were just doing wild stuff. I mean, at one point I'm covering territory from, um, you know, from, uh, where was I? Niagara falls to, uh, Denver, Colorado, to Wisconsin, to Texas and Florida, you know, even with Atlanta and South Carolina in there, I was covering a ton of territory traveling 25 nights a month. I mean, it was insane, but, uh, exciting at the same time too. And that's, that's what led to the 15 Red Bulls a day. Not to mention that, but I also had some pretty toxic mentors in my life. And I had this story going on in my head that if I couldn't, uh, if my energy wasn't there, because I had this story in my head, I'm not that smart, you know, because I had somebody telling me that for a while, you know, you're not that smart. Uh, I relied on my energy. And if I didn't have energy, I wouldn't be praised. I wouldn't be, uh, even the story that I wouldn't be lovable. So it went pretty deep in a lot of ways. So yeah, that led to me drinking a ton of Red Bull, um, plus people thought it was insane. So I did it for attention. Uh, and so, yeah, I just had some seriously bad habits and what it did too, was I started eating like crazy at night, like carbs, sugars, man, I was attracted to all that. Cause I wasn't sleeping. My body was just screaming, uh, for, for anything to keep it going. And so not only that happened by 30, I also, my body gave up making testosterone. Like it just said, Hey man, we quit. Like it was just done, you know? And so I took anything I could to keep my body going. And it's not a point of pride by any means. Like I never uh, took steroids. I never did any legal drugs except for there was a brief period where I got my hands on some clenbuterol mm -hmm. and I dabbled with that. And I was like, holy shit. Um, I was turned on like light speed for like two straight weeks and uh, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Like, I, uh, I really learned to respect that kind of stuff. And uh, just, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was a dumb, dumb decision. 
but that's how far I was willing to go um, for that. And also because I had issues with, you know, my own body image too. Even though I was in great shape, I constantly had this story that, uh, that I wasn't. Yeah, man, performance enhancing drugs like Slippery Slope, I think especially for people that uh, have like this this go-getter mentality and they just want to excel at everything they do. Like I, I have not dabbled. Like I'm a natural bodybuilder because I'm scared to take steroids because I feel like I've got the personality type that would make it very hard to know how I could perform at that level and then yeah, like willingly tap the brakes on that to not stay on it. And it's not healthy to stay on it, obviously. So like I've intentionally stayed away from it for fear of it's becoming very addicted smart. to it. <laughs> but it's it's scary stuff, man. So your wife, I mean, what what was she thinking through this whole time? Because that's, that's got to be pretty tough on a relationship, being gone 25 nights out of the month and, you know, just constantly battering yourself physically and mentally. Did not go over well. Um, yeah, that was not going over well. We've been together since we were, we've known each other since we were 15. And, uh, and yeah, it wasn't a very popular thing. And for me, it was just like, I was upset with her because I'm like, this is my moment though. Like I struggled through those years with staples, you know, it was, uh, that job was so challenging and it didn't pay me the money I wanted. Now, like, this is my moment. I'm climbing the ladder. Um, so I was a little resentful when she had problems with it, but I was completely out of my mind and really in this selfish, arrogant kind of state. So, uh, it definitely put a wedge between us. Uh, I, I it's hard to admit you know, sometimes like I just wasn't a great guy during that time period. I mean, I was a real douchebag. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I valued nice clothes. You know, I needed nice clothes. I drove this BMW around like on the surface. I checked off all of society's boxes that said I would look that I was successful. Um, but I just was such a dick. Uh, and, I, and I'm not proud of it. There were, it, I strayed so far from my values and, and who I am that uh, it was a really challenging time. And so a lot of it was just this desperate cry um, for some kind of relief in life because, you know, having a toxic mentor, uh, nonstop travel, and just losing sight of who I am. It, it's hard, man, because I feel like society puts up this this illustration of what it deems to be, you know, proper and, and the best. Like, if you check off these boxes then you are a quote-unquote successful human and like people want to feel valued they want to feel like their life means something and if you're getting all this you know external praise that even though i feel like i feel like people internally know that it's superficial they know if they're truly fulfilled or not but Mm -hmm. like if you're getting that attention it's hard to know where else to look because that seems at first glance like where you need where you need to be focusing you know so, you know, I have an addictive behavior like this, this it's been wired into me. And there's a, that was the reason why I never drank either. Um, and so, but I realized I focused my addictive behaviors in other areas. Um, but the first drug that I was really hooked on was when I was a little kid and I got seriously addicted to praise. You mm-hmm. know, that was the first drug for me. The moment someone in my family or an adult would say, wow, you're such a good boy where your kid is so polite, I was just like, oh, that's the behavior I need to mirror all the time. So I keep getting that praise. And so, yeah, I just did whatever people said was good. Was and, there, uh, was there like was a, uh, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? No, 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 that you're, you're, you're good. Was there like a, an aha moments when, I mean, for, for me, like I, I kind of checked off a lot of society's boxes and, you know, I was doing everything that, my parents, my friends, and, you know, society seemed like they they were appreciating, but I knew, like, inside that it wasn't what I was destined to do with my life. Like, yeah. did you have this aha moment where you knew you were you were going to have to switch course or else you were going to be stuck in this, this like, rhythm of what you were doing that, that you didn't find or didn't, didn't know to be who you truly were? <laughs> yeah, you know, 30... You know, when when I hit rock bottom at 30, that was kind of this point where I started scratching my head, where I was like, this just like, there's got to be more to this in life. I was on medical leave. I was just completely burned out. I'd had several nervous breakdowns um, and I left my my job and took some time off 
and I gained a ton of weight. I'm 5'10". I was up to 250 pounds, man. I was big. And um, I just spent some time, though, sleeping for the first time ever. And uh, in five years, it felt like I was sleeping again. And so I was starting to really scratch my head and ask the question, like, what the hell am I supposed to be doing? And how do I escape retail? Like, I didn't know how to leave that industry. Like, I didn't know how to really define or articulate what my skills were in it. I just knew I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get out of it, man. And so took some time off. And then out of nowhere, I'm not even looking for work yet. But Under Armour calls me. And they're like, hey, we'd love for you to work for us. We saw you on LinkedIn. Like, we want you. And I'm like, oh, shit, Under Armour. That's badass. You know, I just left a Nike company. And now I get a chance, you know, to work for Under Armour. And uh, so I went back at it. And I had all these new boundaries, you know, about putting health and self-care first. And um, when I started with the company, I really started my, my own comeback story physically. You know, I was like, all right, I got to take care of myself now. And I lost the weight, man. Like I lost a lot of the weight. I was back in shape. I was feeling good. Because look, man, you work for Under Armour. You don't, you don't want to wear those clothes when you're, when you're overweight, man. It just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. That yeah. stuff's tight. So like, I was like, oh, man. So uh, yeah, I got back in shape. But it, it didn't take long for me to fall back in old habits. Like I started just traveling again. I was on the road constantly, started eating bad again, struggling to uh, create time to work out. You know, I fell back into those old habits. But the, the, there was two, like there were two other defining moments though. And one that's kind of bucketed into to two things was the birth of my son in 2013, where my wife was seriously injured during the birth of our son. Like she was, she was beat up pretty bad during the pregnancy um, and it was an emergency C-section and man, I was, I was just scared that she wouldn't make it. And uh, when my son got rolled out and I saw him for the very first time, I knew that everything had to change. That was a big click where it was like, man, I want to show this kid what it's like to write your own comeback story in life. And I want to show him that it's never too late and what it looks like to build something of your own. So this and, was after you were suicidal, right? Yeah, this is this is 2013. I'm I'm officially like you know a year and a half into Under Armour, and uh, and I'm like something's got to change because I knew like at the rate I was going, I was never going to see him. Mm-hmm. Like I was always going to be on the road. I'd see him on weekends, you know, not even holidays. I worked holidays, so uh, that was a big moment for me, and especially with you know my wife in such bad shape. So you know. I had my dad there, you know, he, he came down to Texas and he was there for the birth of my son, man, was sitting on the couch. He's got his arm around me and he's just like, man, I'm so proud of you. You're going to be a great dad. And we just had a really cool moment. And, uh, a month later he died. Like he just, he passed away instantly from, from basically a heart attack. And, uh, you know, he was 61 and my best friend and, uh, his loss was just, uh, devastating to me. It, it really took a while to kick in too, but you know, he was 61. He, he physically didn't take really good care of himself, but he was an amazing human being. And so some big wake up calls there. And the last one, man, I'll tell you, like I changed companies again, went to another retail company and, uh, I went to a company Carter's children's clothing. And, uh, by 2015 working for them, man, uh, I hit rock bottom again, health wise. Like I couldn't maintain my my energy anymore. I was uh, my mood swings were insane. Like I couldn't tell what was going on anymore. Doctors were trying to figure it out. Um, I was either crying or I was angry and yelling. Uh, I couldn't stay awake, and uh, I was getting confused easily. I was having these weird seizure kind of uh, muscle spasms. I had herniated my back a couple times. Like all this crazy crap was happening. And, uh, and that's when I, I finally, like in the parking lot of my doctor's office on April 10th, 2015, I was like, that's enough. I grabbed my phone. I had just been diagnosed with narcolepsy and this other thing called cataplexy. And, uh, and I had already been diagnosed with some other stuff like Addison's disease, where your body stops making adrenaline and cortisol. It gives up making that stuff. Like you need that crap to uh, manage stress. Yeah, definitely. And 
without it though, like without adrenaline or cortisol, like if you go into a strong emotional or physical stress, your body goes into fight or flight. Mine doesn't. Mine would go into shock. And then I could go into a coma without hydrocortisone steroids given to me pretty quickly, or I could die. It's a pretty nasty disorder. And so after being diagnosed with a bunch of that crap, I was like, I called HR and I said, uh, I'm not coming in next week. I'm, I'm going on medical leave. And after that, everything's kind of a blur. Like, and uh, that was a life-changing moment. That was it. Like I had already started coaching school. That, that year was kind of the big turning point for me. It was like, man, I want to go back to serving other people. And so I'd started coaching school earlier that year um, with no idea how I was going to do it full time. But I just started pursuing it. But by April 10th, man, I was done with retail. I was on medical leave. And that's where the whole journey over these past five years really started. So I have a couple questions for you. When you, were, when you called up HR and said that you quit, like, did you – because like you had just had a son at that point. Were you like freaking out like financially? Did you have a whole bunch saved up? Or were you like, how, how am I going to make ends meet and support this family? Is, was, was your wife working at the time or she is staying at home? Oh, mom? shit. Like, no, I thinking? was screwed. I was totally <laughs> screwed. No, no man. Like uh, when I made that call, I was just going on medical leave first. Like I didn't know that that was going to be it. I was like, all right, I'm going on medical leave. You don't get much money for that, but your job's protected, you know, for a little while. Um, but no, like I was in debt up to my eyeballs. Like by the time I went on medical leave, I had a negative bank account. Like I had less than zero dollars. It's really discouraging. Um, I was behind in my mortgage. You know, I had this beautiful home built just recently at that time. You know, my son's an infant. My wife's out of work. She's been out of work for a while because of the, the troubles with the pregnancy. You know, my son's like a year and a half old. And, uh, and me, I'm physically and emotionally done. Like I could barely brush my teeth some days and, uh, and crippling depression. So what a great time to start a business. Yeah, for real. You know, so, and, and that's the story. I don't know how many other people can relate to this, but like that perfect moment you want, like once I have this money saved up, once I'm at a certain place with my current job and I can quit, once I have like this, this, and this, that's when I'll do it. Once basically what people are saying is, and what I was saying was once I know it's safe, and it's for sure going to be a success. I'll do this. I'll tell you what, if you're waiting for the perfect moment, get used to waiting. It's not happening. And so I got pushed into it. And uh, that illness pushed me. And then I, I finally made the rest of the leap myself. And holy cow, man, you don't know what's possible until you're broke. Like you don't know how creative and resourceful you are until your back's against the wall. I wish it didn't take that, but that's what it took. And so I had to dig deep. And, uh, and really figure out how I can make this work while also taking care of myself too and finding a way to survive without losing our house, without declaring bankruptcy um, and knowing too that I was unemployable. Like my doctor even wrote that in a note. He's like, you are unemployable because I could no longer get along well in some kind of corporate office environment anymore. Um, I was just too emotionally uh, unstable, but I was awesome coaching, like back with clients, man, I was on fire doing that. That was the thing I finally felt like a natural rock star at. So did you just, like you were going through coaching school, did you just roll that out? like almost instantly and then just say, okay, this is how I'm going to make this work. And then just start kind of bootstrapping it and finding clients. Yeah. I had started finding clients earlier that year. Um, and I was halfway through coaching school but during that time period, I started working with people and I would charge like a few bucks here and there. Like my first client paid me $5. Like I had a six figure salary, you know, my retail job. But that five bucks that one client paid me at the very beginning was like a dream because I was like, man, someone's paying me to do my dream job. That's all I needed. I was like, I started raising my rates slowly. And then by the time I go on medical leave, I'm only halfway through coaching school. This is like a $15,000 program that takes a year long. And, uh, and I still owe like another five just to complete the certification process, you know? And uh, here's, something, here's something I did. Like after going on medical leave, I realized one thing. And that was, I don't have any friends where I live. All of my friends were coworkers and peers. So I made a list of like 30 people 
that were mainly in my community within Austin that I didn't know that well, but I really respected them. And they had amazing career paths. And some of them were also on LinkedIn and some of them were also in my, uh, my coaching community. And I, I just reached out to these people and said, hey, I'm fascinated with your story and your career path. Like, could we have a call or a coffee where I could just learn more about you and what your journey has been like? And I'll tell you what, a lot of people at first were just like, what do you want from me? And I was like, no, I don't want anything from you. I just want to hear your story. And man, that unintentionally opened up a ton of doors for me because uh, everybody would ask the same question eventually, like, well, what can I do for you? And that's where I'd, I'd ask the question, like, well, who do you know that has a great story too? And it just kept expanding my network. But one of those people, though, was with my coaching school. She was a program advisor. And she heard about my experience with LinkedIn and my success with networking. And so they decided to hire me as a consultant to recruit people for the coaching school. And that paid for the rest of my certification process. And wow. it was doing something that I already love. So it was amazing. Like you just don't know what's possible until you ask. Like you create your own damn luck by getting out there and doing the stuff you love. I could not agree more, man. Like when I was... Uh, in management, corporate, in the corporate world, you know, I was making enough income to like have all my needs met, so to speak. Like when you have that safety net, you'll never jump. <laughs> I mean, you'll never no. jump and really just put yourself out there. But when I quit that, I mean, I got like, I got in crazy debt, man. I was like $250,000 in the hole and yep. I was broke. I like just started a relationship with Crystal, didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. But when you are up against the wall like that, you start seeing opportunities in places you never would see them. And like, mm. like you have that mindset and you can just, you know, pull that out of your pocket anytime you need it, but you'll never have that opportunity if you never get there in the first place. And for me now, like I'm not $250,000 in the hole anymore, but I've got a lot of responsibility. I have a lot of overhead, a lot of, I have like yeah. you know, employees and everything now. So I've got that stress still, but I can like, reflect back on a time when I had nothing and what I had to do mm -hmm. and what I had to, you know, put in work to make things happen. And like having that, like, I'm so grateful for being so screwed, you know? Yeah, no. And that's the thing. It, there was like a, a struggle mindset, you know? And then now it's just like, you still have a stress in your life. But like, for me, I could say like, I still have stress, but like, I have a new stress, a different stress than I had before. And I like my new stress. Yeah, because this stress pushes me towards like more of my purpose in life. It's always pushing me further, whereas my old stress was a damn hamster wheel. It was going to be the same stress every single day and it was never going to change. Totally you know? So I love this. And the shift in my mindset was really big during this time period where I was sick and barely moving because I remember looking up from my bed, couldn't move that day, super depressed, energies depleted. And, you know, from a faith perspective, I was just like, hey, God, I was like, no longer this place of like, why is this happening to me? I asked, like, what are you trying to teach me? And that's when I just heard, you know, uh, this voice in my head, you know, like it was, uh, you know, one, I'm yeah, finally have your attention because you're not moving so fast anymore. Like you'll listen. And uh, and really the teaching was is like you need to start taking care of yourself and how, and you need to learn how to ask for help. And you also need to, how to you know, learn how to humble yourself and you need to learn how to surrender these, uh, uh, these stories in your head that you're defined by all this crap you own. Like you got to let go of a lot of this stuff. And, uh, and it really helped me, man, because my, my scope of what was possible in the world went from like this tunnel vision to only seeing what was possible in front of me to now like, all of this, like 360 degrees of being able to see what's possible. Like I could see my peripheral now, like I was so much more curious, like I knew where I wanted to go, but I was no longer tied to how I got there. And that opened up so many doors. I hope that makes some sense to some people, but uh, I really turned into more of this heart centered person where I no longer was no longer really held prisoner to this log logical thinking process. Like, oh, that's not possible. I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have the resources. I was like, screw that. I'll find a way. And, uh, and I did. I found ways of doing things. And one of those big moments was I'm in Irvine, California, and I was invited out there to do a speech about, you know, kind of LinkedIn and personal branding and a little bit of coaching at that time to like a, a ton of entrepreneurs. 
And uh, it was really my first big speaking gig. And that was probably six months into my coaching experience, almost a year um, going full time and going on medical leave. And I remember going to this event and for the first time being smart with my energy, like I uh, had lost some weight. I was getting back into shape and I always used to be that alpha extrovert and I'd be shaking hands, kissing babies with everyone in the room, just like working the crowd. And this time I was like really chill like conserving my energy. I sat in the back and I just kind of observed and took in the moment. It was really cool. No social media. I wasn't taking any pictures. And uh, by the time I went up there for my speech, like I was on fire. Like I had all my energy. I gave them everything I had. And, uh, and then I sat down. I was so tired after that, but I loved it. I just loved it. And it validated my purpose. And I remember again, thinking to myself, man, I can't afford like, I don't have the health right now to take on the number of clients I need to, to pay my bills. I just don't have the health for that right now. And then that's when I was just emotionally faith-based challenged to raise my rates. Like, that was the big moment where it was just like, raise your rates. And I was terrified of that. But I, I quadrupled my rates in that moment. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I thought I was going to throw up, like, when I saw it. I was like, I can't say this out loud. I can't do this to somebody. I cannot ask for that. People are going to say no. But I did it anyways, and people said yes. Changed the game. I started defining what my value was. And so that happened. And then from the health perspective, I realized that I was bitching too much about my health. Like I was complaining constantly about my health and had this victim mentality in some ways and realized, you know what? Instead of me being obsessed with all the doctors and what they're saying and what they're diagnosing me with and what pills they're trying to give me, like why don't I focus on what I can control? And there were five things I identified as my supply lines. And those are the five things I have control over. My sleep, my prayer time, my fitness, my nutrition, and the people I surround myself with. If I don't take care of those five things, I have no right to complain about my health. Like zero right. Just doesn't make any sense. You know, and I felt like for a while there, I was looking for this magic pill that was just going to take care of me and I'd be rescued. Uh, that crap wasn't going to happen. That's that's I love that concept, man, because I feel like a lot of I've run into a lot of people that are incredibly down about their health, like they had a, a bad diagnosis. They they just they're not happy with where they're at and they take they internalize it so much and they it, they let it defeat them so they have no ambition or drive to, like, get up and do something about it. And it's it's weird because, like me, I'm, I'm literally never sick. I've been sick twice in my entire life since I was born, like literally two times. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. That's just the case. So, like, for me, I've got this weird relationship with, with being sick. It's like I'm not ever sick because I always tell myself that I'm never going to get sick. And so much of it, I think, is the power of the mind. And that yeah. sounds like frou-frou, but, I mean, I swear, dude, like the people that are always complaining about some kind of ailment, they're the ones that are always sick, whereas the people that are, like, go-getters and powerful and like feel like they never get sick they never get sick you know so i yeah. feel like so much of it stems from the thoughts that you put out into the world and for mm -hmm. you those five supplies i love that because it's like these are the five things that i have complete control over i have no right to bitch and moan if i'm not really t up in the ante on these five things yeah i call it protecting your supply lines and i'm like look if i protect these five things then i am greatly reducing my stress from the outside world's like it's basically making you bulletproof and so protect your supply lines and uh and that was just this mentality that i started having it doesn't mean i'm perfect at it but i now know like i'm educated which means i'm empowered to make decisions so if i don't do these things to protect it then you know what i got to own up to it like i know that i'm not eating that healthy right now and i own that and so i can't complain about my situation so it's helped me get off a lot of medication now and it's helped shift my mindset both, you know, personally and in business. You know, I take that everywhere with me now because so many people, how many people take that, those five supply lines and they don't make them non-negotiables in their life, but they'll make a conference call, you know, first priority. They'll cancel, you know, going to the gym so they can take a, you know, another client call. Like, no, this stuff has to be non-negotiable in your life or the rest of your stuff, you're just going to fall apart. So I've really worked hard on making those things a priority, especially the one around surrounding yourself with positive people, people who align with your values. That's so underrated. 
But when you get yourself a tribe, you know, for me, that was finding a tribe of great, like awesome guys, like a great inner circle of men, more like men that just didn't want to talk about sports and the weather, but guys that were willing to be vulnerable, go deep and call you out on your crap. That was a game changer for me. So I take responsibility. I made myself sick. I don't blame football for my concussions. I don't blame the Red Bull for my hormone loss. Like I don't, I don't, I don't make any excuses about that. I made myself sick. And so now it's my responsibility um, to get myself out of it. I like it, man. Some people are like complaining and, and passing the blame on something else, but having this like I did that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I did that for a man. while. I own it. I I bitched for quite a while, man, but I'm done with that story. Hey, you, you got you got a lot of life left, man. You're pretty young in the grand scheme of things, Ooh. so you got the right yeah. path mindset going now. You know what's amazing though is how much we can heal. Because it was in September when I finally saw some evidence about the brain trauma that I went through. I went to the Amen Clinic out in California. They're neurologists out there. They do some pretty wild stuff. And they scanned my brain and they saw all the damage for the first time. Stuff you couldn't see in an MRI. Like all the head trauma, emotional PTSD, what that did to the brain. Like I have holes where there's no oxygen flowing to certain parts of my brain. And then I have areas where there's way too much blood flow that's overstimulating me. And they can actually pinpoint where depression's coming from and where my addictive behaviors and obsessive thinking was coming from. You and know, wait, wait, wait. Like, what, what is this of place being, called? It's called the Amen Clinic, uh, A-M-E-N, Dr. Daniel Amen. And he does a lot of focus, too, on this whole process, not just your, your brain, but also your gut health, too. Like he focuses on all of that stuff. Like their goal is to not put you on medication. Their goal is to try and get you off it. And if they can get you on more of a, a lifestyle change and supplements, they'd rather see that happen. But if they do put you on medication, they, want, they, they will pinpoint what's the right medication for you. And so it minimizes side effects. And it's less likely that they're trying to guess what's going to work. They're like, oh, yeah, let's just throw a dart at the wall and give you this medication. Like they strategically pick stuff for you. And so you leave there with a plan. And here's something you might like. They're like, hey, look, we highly recommend that you start a ketogenic lifestyle because you need that in order to heal your brain. Those healthy fats, the carbs and sugars are killing you. But like you need a, you need a solid ketogenic lifestyle and you can dramatically heal your brain along with a lot of these activities like playing music doing crossword puzzles, doing martial arts, all these different things that can help heal the brain. And so, again, I didn't get a magic pill, but I did get education on what I could do to heal myself, and it was friggin' amazing. Like, it gave me so many answers, and it gave me a path forward, and now I'm responsible for my own healing and my own health without a magic pill. They put me on two prescriptions to help me get started, you know, with a mood stabilizer and uh, one for narcolepsy. Uh, and again, they try and put a lot of thought into this because uh, they're like, there are two side effects they don't want you to experience with medication. They don't want you to have any drug that's going to cause weight gain because that's not going to help you with your mindset. And the second one is no sexual side effects. They're like, no, nah, man, we don't want you to go through that either. So I'm like, well, I appreciate you looking out for me. So those are the two things. And uh, man, it was a game changer learning all that stuff. But it validated my belief system on what I need to do. And they basically were also applying my supply lines thought process with the recovery for their patients. So I was like, all right, I'm on the right track. This is great. And and you've been you've been kind of like playing around with keto since then, right? Like you you messaged me a while back, kind of asking some keto yeah. questions. You've been dabbling in that ever since. I I uh, I'd been dabbling with keto even before that, and you know, got into one program. It was like Ideal Protein was the first one I got into, and uh, one that one's kind of a pain in the ass because you got to eat all their packets, yeah, um, and it doesn't really teach you the nutrition part because um, once you go off it, it's like you just gain the weight back. But I did learn the power of keto during that time period, and I also learned too that with my ADHD, like I felt really focused i felt great like my mindset was sharp when i was on it and so it was just like all right man like this is a great lifestyle for me i need to stick with this but i'll tell you what when i was going through a lot of my mood swings and a lot of my depression uh i'd go straight back to carbs and sugars mm -hmm. so uh i'm getting back on the keto wagon again 
because I'm telling myself this has to be a lifestyle change or else what the doctors told me is you're on a fast track to dementia, man. Like if you don't change your lifestyle, your brain's not going to do well. And that's the path you could go down. I'm like, well, that's not happening. So I'm going back at it again. I know what it feels like to succeed at it. I know what it feels like to fail, but you just keep getting back up until that mindset's done. So I like that badass mentality when I can go to a restaurant and I can tell them how I specifically want my food cooked and what I don't want in it and, uh, and being that badass at the table that has that discipline. So I'm trying to take that mindset back on again where it's just like, no, like I'm not going to say that I can't eat something. I'm just going to say that I choose not to. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of I'm, funny, I'm man. reframing my mind again. Yeah, a lot of people with keto, it's it's like, you know, they'll get on it temporarily to like lose some some pounds, you know, for some event or something. You drop some water weight pretty quick. But when you're on it long term, long enough to really tap into the true potential and, and benefits of it, it's like you feel so good doing that that it, it makes mm-hmm. that momentary pleasure of like the dessert or the the carbs just like not worth it. Like you get so much more of a high from the benefits of keto that it, it makes saying no to those trivial foods so much easier. Yeah. And for me, because I have these addictive behaviors and, uh, and also as an emotional eater in my past, like I know that one meal off the wagon is not going to help me. Like I'll immediately fall apart. You know, when it's like, Oh man, I'm going to have that one bowl of ice cream. Like that's it. I'm done. Like, then it's all of a sudden like, well, let's just make a whole weekend out of it, you know, and then I just start negotiating with myself and I feel like crap. Like I feel instantly awful. Inflammation stop starts happening. My face bloats. Like I get tired. Like it is just a nasty slope. And so I, I really don't want that crap anymore. And I think like what was really inspiring for me was seeing you uh, in Tulsa and, and Crystal and then following you guys on Instagram where it's like, man, they've got this stuff figured out. And, and you take such a healthy approach to it too. And that's also when I started looking at the keto bricks and I was looking at the ingredients, how they're made. I was like, man, these, these dudes are the real deal. And, uh, and I think what also served me too is having some success with keto in the past and knowing what it feels like. And once you know what something awesome feels like, you want to go for it again. And so I'm on a relentless pursuit to, ha- to make this happen. So, cause I just want to feel good again, man. And I need it in order to be the best father, the best husband and the best entrepreneur. Well, shoot, man, I, I definitely, I'm probably a little biased cause I've made keto a large part of my lifestyle, but I'm a hundred percent belief that it, it gives you the right foundation to live the best life possible and really excel at every area of your life because it just takes out some of the unnecessary variables and it makes your, your long-term health much more attainable and sustainable. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, you get that dialed in, then everything else is just going to follow suit. Yeah. And look, I'm not telling anybody how they need to eat or what their nutrition plan needs to look like. I know it works for me. I know I feel good. My body chemistry loves it and it instantly starts to heal me. And then also I have doctors that validated that this is what I need to be on in order to heal myself. So I can't argue with that. Totally. But see, it's a funny thing, man. Like this is the Keto Savage podcast. So it's, it's interesting that we were able to work keto into the conversation, but I respect the hell out of you just on a, on a mindset basis alone. I mean, I appreciate people that have gone through hard times, learned from it and come out the other side all the better for it. And I can respect that regardless of what your nutritional protocol is, man. So like, know that that i admire you for who you are totally independent of what you're eating oh phew man i was really afraid no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> no and that's the thing like i have a tremendous respect for you and crystal because the moment i met you guys i was like holy cow like those are just damn good people like to the core i was like and i was just like at this point where I was like i want to see them succeed in the worst way and i felt like i had this opportunity where i was like man i'm i feel like i'm witnessing like the birth of something epic you know, with what you guys were doing. And it's been so amazing watching that climb and climb and climb um, to, you know, where you guys are now. And I so relate to the journey too. It's like, look, 2019 has been the most successful year of my professional life, not just with my own business, but my professional life. And just because that's happening doesn't mean that the stress is gone either. You know, just like you were saying, you got a ton of overhead and responsibilities now. 
um, look, I still have my debt. I still have my, my, uh, my journey, but man, my mindset has totally changed. And especially my relationship with wealth and wealth creation, um, it's totally different. So, you know, surrounding myself and following guys like you, you know, having that brotherhood and following guys like Marcus, like it's a game changer, man. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So you want to change your mindset. You got to change the people you're around. 100% agree, man. What What is your take on like things now? I, I was talking to Chris about this uh, <laughs> yesterday, actually. And we were talking about just, you know, I feel like we've adopted a, a minimalist approach to what we purchase, consume, use, and have. And I really like that. Like the things that we do have, we we use. I mean, we use everything that we own regularly. If I don't use it, I don't need it. And I don't buy you know, cheap things that are going to break. I try and get high quality things that will last, uh, not necessarily for like for name brand recognition, but just because I want things to be, uh, you know, stand the test of time. I want quality stuff because I use it. But it's mm-hmm. funny because I've totally shifted in my mindset. And if I don't use it and recognize the value in it, I don't want it. Like I don't have a house full of crap i mean first of all i live in the warehouse so that kind (laughs) of dictates some of the stuff that i have but i don't have just unnecessary things and i feel like that lifts a huge weight off my shoulders oh man you're speaking my language like look in my 20s and early 30s like i had a a deep passion for home theater equipment and uh and and computers and owning dvds like man i had like over 300 dvds and what a stupid thing to buy. Yeah. Like, because all of a sudden Blu-rays come out. And it's like, oh, I need to like buy all those. And then like the next form. And now everything's digital streaming. So it's like, I just look like, you know, I sold all that crap. And then I stopped buying all these things too. It just didn't make sense anymore. Like all my financial hardships were self-imposed. Like, like mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I did this to me, you know? So um one, I stopped using credit cards and got rid of them all like almost like eight years ago. Uh, like I just got a credit card recently to start rebuilding my credit. Um, and then uh, the other thing too was like a year and a half ago, we finally looked around and said, you know what? Like, what are we doing with all this crap? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why do we let this stuff define us? And so uh, my wife said, you know what? I want to travel. And we think about traveling every day, but every day we just buy more stuff that holds us hostage. So, you know, a year and a half ago, we started selling almost everything we owned and except, and we had this one room in our house, this guest room that was like, I don't know, 12 by 12. It was like the size of a dorm room. And we're like, if, if we want to keep something, we're going to put it in this room. If it fits in this room, we keep it. If it doesn't fit in this room, we get rid of it. And we box stuff up. We started putting things in there that really bring us joy, things that we want to keep. Like I had some musical instruments, some a vinyl collection that I really loved and some family treasure, you know. But other than that, man, I started saying goodbye to a lot of stuff. Man, I had 75 pairs of dress shoes from like my retail days. <laughs> Who the hell wears that many shoes, man? And I had all these like leather man bags too. I was like, oh God, I'm like, I was so disgusted with myself. You know, I was like, what a douchebag. Like, so I just started getting rid of all this crap. And, uh, and the last thing was the house. The house really was defining me too. I was like, man, this house represented me making life, but we wanted to travel. And so the idea was like, all right, we're either selling this thing or releasing it out. We didn't have a plan of what we were doing either. We just knew we wanted to travel. And so we emptied the house, sold all this stuff. And then all of a sudden we had somebody that wanted to lease it for a year, you know, about eight months and they were going to pay good money for it too. I was like, man, that's incredible. And, uh, and then I found somebody at the very last minute because we knew we were going to try and go to Maine for a while, go back home. Um, but we didn't know how or where we were staying. And I met uh, one of my friends said, hey, you can borrow my RV for three months. So we got this 35-foot motor home that I've never driven before that I can attach my Jeep to in the back and tow it. And we're going to drive all the way to Maine in this thing with my infant, you know, with now my like five-year-old son and my wife and our two dogs. <laughs> and... Uh, and holy cow. And we rode up there with that family up until New York and we dropped them off in New York and they were going on a vacation there and then they were going to fly back. But that was the first time I ever drove the thing. Like 
that's a beast to drive, man. I yeah, can't believe is. that anyone can drive one of those things without a special license. Um, and so, but we lived in an RV, a 35 foot RV for three months, man. It was the best experience of my life. I miss that damn thing. Like you, you only have the things that you truly, truly love in that. Like, that's it. You can't bring a ton of crap. You don't have the room for it. It was such a simple lifestyle. And I don't think we've gone to the extreme end of minimalism, but we value it quite a bit. Because after the three months in that, then we moved into a small cabin, like out in the middle of nowhere, man, a town of 500 people. And, uh, and even there, it was like we only had the stuff that we had from the RV. And uh, then we spent time living at my in-law's place, and they were very small. We had one room in there that we could really live in. Like it was a very minimalist lifestyle. And so when we came back to Austin in August, like we didn't have our house back, which was great. I mean, our house was like 2,400 square feet, decent size. We got an apartment that was 750 square feet, you know? So again, we couldn't fill the place with a lot of crap. And I didn't want to, man, it overwhelms me. And so, uh, and yeah, it's, it's the lifestyle change has been huge. Now I don't buy stuff unless I absolutely need it. And usually I only like buying stuff that's going to make me money. Like I buy like equipment for my business. And if I buy equipment for my business, like I didn't buy anything for my business for like the first two years because I was so financially struggling. I couldn't afford stuff. I couldn't afford marketing programs, a website, business cards, camera gear. All I had was a cell phone, a laptop and a LinkedIn account. That's it. Like, that's all I had. And I built my business from that, that point part. Now, if I buy gear for my business, it needs two things that really, that, that I qualify. It's got to be mobile, easy to travel with, and it's got to be high quality. Like I like high quality and I like it to be mobile. So those things are super important to me. And, uh, and those are the things I invest my money in when it's appropriate. Man, it's it's crazy hearing you talk because I feel like we've got so much more in common than I even realized because we didn't really have a chance yeah. to talk just one-on-one at this event in Oklahoma. And now mm-hmm. that I'm talking to you one-on-one, it's like kind of eye-opening because <laughs> we just have a lot in common. The, the van that we have uh, at Keto Brick here, I originally purchased that van to convert into like a little you know van life thing, like put a little kitchenette yep. in there. Like I was going to live out of that van, and then right when we bought that, it's when the the keto brick business started picking up. So then we used it for you know shipments and whatnot. But I still want to get like an RV or to convert the van yet still, and just drive across the country with next to nothing, and just be in the moment, be present. Because I feel like oh, that like there's no greater way of figuring out who you are, what you stand for, what you value, then when you have everything stripped from you and you mm-hmm. just have the bare necessities, like there's so much peace and beauty in that. You said it perfectly stripped from you. And during the process of getting sick and building my business, it felt like uh, from a faith perspective, again, like God was ripping and stripping me of all these layers that I acquired, all these things that I considered upgrades in my life, and they were just being ripped and torn from me until I was just left with me, you know, and the way I was built as is. And, and that was amazing. It was painful as hell. And that meant, you know, stripping myself of belief systems, you know, these stories that I told myself about who I am and also the things in my life that I thought defined me. And that house was a big one, man. I was like, uh, two things I didn't want to let go of my Jeep. I love my Jeep <laughs> and I love my house. And I was like hell bent on giving those two things up. I'm like, no way. And finally I got to this humble spot where I was like, you know what? If I'm supposed to sell the house, I'll sell the house. It's just a damn house. But you still and, the Jeep. Uh, and the, yeah, the truth is I'm never going to be homeless. Like I, I've got friends I could crash on a couch with. It might not be ideal, but if things really got bad, I'm never going to be homeless. I'll find a way, but it's just a house. So I'm not going to be held hostage to that. And if I got to sell the Jeep, I'll sell the Jeep. I'll have a Jeep another day. It's just a damn Jeep. I love the thing, but I got to get rid of it. And so, but the funny thing is the moment I tried to get rid of those two things, it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. There's something I was like, man, we're supposed to do something else with this. We're supposed to keep these things. But it was the moment that I decided that those things were no longer going to be holding me hostage. And I was willing to let them go. All of a sudden stuff started changing. Like my mindset, like things just changed. Now we kept the house, we kept the Jeep. 
and they came in real handy. The, the house makes us a little money now while someone else pays my mortgage, you know, and I'm learning to live with less. But that RV life, man, I can't recommend it enough. Like it's worth checking out. You learn so much about yourself. You learn how to fix things again because they're like boats and they're always you're always fixing your boat, it seems like. So we're always fixing the RV. But man, every day I would get out of that thing and I'm standing in front of some mountains. Like that was my view every day. And it's crazy. The campground we were staying at was the place where I met my wife for the first time when we were 15 at a jujitsu um, camp. So That's we're awesome, back man. to like full circle, man, to where, you know, we were. And my in-laws are just down the street. But every day we finished the day with a campfire and we finished it like I would, I would look at these beautiful mountains in front of me. And so when I was stressed out of my mind, like, and I was having a bad day at work, instead of white knuckling through my work day and being all pissed off and frustrated, I would come outside of that and I'd look at those mountains. I'm like, I'm going to hike that damn thing. And I would just climb it. And I'll tell you what, like, you can't be stressed out when you're climbing straight up a mountain because you're just trying to breathe. And so uh, you get to the top of it and you just don't have any stress anymore. So that lifestyle was beautiful for me. So it's amazing. I challenge people to put yourself in environments that fill your cup that that represent what you stand for value and believe in it might seem counterintuitive but if you do that stuff i'm telling you it's going to change your life you know it, it's it's funny because like i i love the outdoors i love hunting camping fishing mm -hmm. i love all of that stuff but like i, I live in the warehouse and like you, it's easy to get so tunnel vision into mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day business because i love business like i love yeah. business so I, I love that day-to-day -day grind, um, but it's so easy to get, like, tunnel vision in on that that you, I don't know, you just, you just don't see with all the peripheral that you do if you escape that, like, have, like, this sense of escapism, even if it's something, even if it's from something you love, just to escape from that and then kind of remove yourself from that bubble and just experience something different. So, like, this past weekend, we went hunting uh, at my family farm uh, with my friends, my close friends from childhood and Crystal. Crystal got her first year. It was an awesome, awesome experience. And, you know, at the end of it all, we're sitting there around the campfire just watching the flames flicker. And yeah. there's no Wi-Fi out there. There's no Internet. I I went into the weekend, like, just totally obsessing about all the things that I had to do, wasn't going to be able to do, was going to have to come back to do. But then, like, in the moment, you don't think about that stuff. You just, like you remove yourself from your normal day-to-day -day and you're able to just your mind is allowed to like breathe and open up and be creative again in a different way so that when you do come back you're always better for it you nailed it man you nailed it like I, I absolutely agree with you and I'd even reframe like the word escapism because it, once you learn the things that really fill you up it's just a pivot it's just like everyone talks about this work-life balance unicorn which is Bullshit. Like people have this weird perspective. It is bullshit. But my perspective of balance is fluid. Yeah. You know, it's fluid. It's being able to shift back and forth. Like you could stand on one leg and someone's like, oh, I'm balanced. I'm like, no, you're not. I was like, you know how many tiny little muscles are like going bonkers trying to keep you stable right now? There's all these little things happening. That's what balance is really like. Sometimes you've got to shift in one direction, you know, for temporary and something else gets a back seat. But it's knowing what those things are. If I knew what my values were in my 20s, I wouldn't have been drinking all that Red Bull. I wouldn't have been trying to fill this empty hole in me, you know, because if you don't know what your values are, you will fill those tanks with crap that doesn't belong there. And that's when you get into bad addictive behaviors and stuff that doesn't help you. But if you know for you, like nature and being around good friends helps fill you up and evokes your creativity and then you can go back to work and kick ass like that's awesome. So, yeah, you can have career as a value of yours. It just can't be the only value you can't. It's just like money. You need to diversify, you know, your different, you know, streams of income instead of just counting on one. you got to do the same thing with values. That's like why for me, like I have to do an open mic night once a week. Every Thursday, I like to go to a local pub, you know, and I, I perform like three to four songs for people with my guitar, I sing a little bit. And man, I don't care if anyone listens to me. I do it for me. I do it so I don't end up on the news. It makes me happy. You know, so it's a great release. And then it evokes my creativity and my ability to be present. Going outside and going for a walk, hiking, exercising, time with my son. Like these are all things that I have to make time for because if I don't, I know exactly what's going to happen to me. 
I'm going to start white knuckling. I'm going to start getting stressed out and my performance is going to start to crumble. And I'm going to fall into habits again of like eating poorly, not sleeping. It's a slippery slope. And I don't think people understand that. But when I go off track, it's pretty easy to see. I'm like, oh, like I stopped doing things that light me up. And then I stopped sleeping. I started getting stressed out. And then I started eating garbage again. You know, I started isolating. And then before I know it, I'm, I'm depressed and I'm not doing anything. Do you have like a like a protocol that you follow like, you know, one month? You said the, the open mic night every Thursday. But as far as like yeah. getting out on more of an extended, you know, venture, camping trip or whatever, do you have like a protocol as far as, you know, once a month or once a quarter, I've got to do this just to kind of like proactively mitigate any of that white knuckling risk? Yeah. You know, like it seems like it happens at least every quarter. There's some big trip. And for me, I love road trips, man. Like I love the idea of being able to travel internationally, but man, there's so much gorgeous stuff to see within our 50 States, man. Like, I love traveling, just driving, you know, I drove from Maine to Texas like four times this past year. That's like 2,400 miles, man, uh, one way. And yeah. so like I've done that trip so many times, but I love it, man. I love it. There's so many beautiful things. So being able to put those trips in there, like I was doing those uh, almost monthly for a while there. I did several monthly. It was more than four. But like I do try and put things in quarterly. So, for example, I'm going to go to Banff, Canada in February. Uh, and that's like one of the most beautiful places on earth, man, up near Calgary, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I'm going there for this epic conference that's run by a friend of mine, you know, and I'm going to go there and I'm also going to fill my cup with being around epic people. Like you're going to have the VP of Under Armour there, Spotify, the Philadelphia 76ers, Skittles, Doritos, um, all these amazing brands are going to be there. So that fills my cup too. And then in March, I'm going up to Indiana probably a road trip there. I'm going to do a TEDx talk, my first one, you know, then I'm going to do a road trip to Utah, uh, you know, where I'm getting my first tattoo from a good friend of mine. Like I, I plan adventures as much as possible um, in there. And I, what I'd say is it's not a rigid structure, like the calendar, I'm going to do it this way. It's a very intentional thing. The open mic night's probably the only thing that's set because I know it happens once a week. But here's what I tell people. Like, if you can't have something scheduled, like, then change what it is. Like, just pivot. Like, if I can't do open mic night, guess what? I got a guitar on the back wall. I'll take it down. I'll play some music right here in the house. You know, it doesn't have to be open mic. I love hiking and I love climbing mountains. But you know what? I live in a place where it's pretty flat. So I'll at least go for a walk outside. You know, I'll, I'll work by a window if I have to. Like, anything to just kind of fill that cup so it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Sometimes you just got to pivot just so you can get a little bit of what you love. Totally agree, man. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I love making any sense. All right, cool. <laughs> I, I love I love what you're saying about, you know, pivoting and being fluid as opposed to this work-life balance. Because I've always kind of frowned upon the, the notion of mm -hmm. this work-life balance. Like everything that I do in life personally, I try to make symbiotic in nature. Like everything I buy, everything I do, everything I spend yeah, my yeah. time on, I want it to benefit the whole. Because if it's not, then it's you're either you're not staying neutral like you're either getting better or you're getting worse so everything i do in life needs to be making the whole better yeah you're absolutely right man couldn't agree with you more so the mindset shift has been everything and again like i know i'm talking this good stuff if people are listening it's like oh man this sounds great he sounds like he's got it all together look i still struggle sometimes this doesn't make me immune to like having down times but the best part is, is I got some tools in my tool belt now to get my ass out of it. You know, I know what to do. I know what it takes to get up after being knocked down. I've learned that I can survive anything, you know, and that's not arrogant speaking. That's just like from a confident perspective, like I can survive stuff because everything I've been through, I was like, man, I can't get through this. This is too intense. It's like, no, I've gotten through so much of it now. I'm like, I got this. I'm going to be all right. It's going to, it might suck. It might be really hard. But I can do this. And now I use those experiences as a coach to help serve other people. Because as a coach, I can only take a client as deep as I'm willing to take myself. Totally. And so I use all of these experiences. None of them have been wasted in my life. And so I'm grateful for all of the adversity. You know, I'm doing a thing right now, actually, to help demonstrate people like shame. Like a lot of people carry shame and how heavy that thing is. 
And so I had this like physical metaphor in my head about it because I've carried shame, you know, about my eating and about my illnesses and about my bad behaviors in my 20s, all that stuff I talked about. So I started talking about how unhealthy it is to carry that crap. And so I've got a weighted vest. I've got this weighted vest. It weighs 60 pounds and it's made up of 24 bricks, two and a half pound bricks. And those don't seem like much, but man, when you add those things up, it's 60 pounds, man. It is hard to move around in that thing after a while. And so I said, hey, for 24 days, I'm going to talk about the weight of shame. And every day after my workout, I'm going to take one brick out and I'm going to name what that shame is and I'm going to let it go. You know, and so the weights are piling up. So by the end of those 24 days, man, I'm going to be light. And then I'm actually going to do one last workout with just an empty vest on. I'm going to get rid of that vest because I'm no longer going to even hold on to something that even stores shame. I'm going to get rid of the damn vest, you know, at that point. You know, and I'm still going to work out with it, but it's been such a cool visual, though, to let go of it and show people like, hey, this is letting go. And so doing these workouts, man, it's amazing because I'm like my shoulders start to hurt. I start, you know, my shoulders round in my posture changes because it's heavy after a while. It hurts. That's what shame does. So it's been wild, this whole journey. And then now being able to share it with people and help them move through it you know, uh, it's been pretty wild. So yeah, I'm going to empty this vest out and, uh, and take all that weight off and see how light I feel and also how much stronger I feel. And then I'm going to actually do the opposite and start filling it back up again. I'm going to start putting more bricks back into it every, every uh, workout. And those bricks are going to represent goals and intentions. And those bricks are no longer going to weigh me down. They're going to make me stronger as I put more and more into it. So I'm really pumped about this new campaign and hoping that it serves a lot of people. So again, whatever adversity, you know, you, you have in life, you can look at it and realize it's never going to be wasted. And whatever you go through and thrive through, you're probably going to use it to serve somebody else, not just yourself. Yeah, totally agree, man. I mean, anything that you experience in life, you have to leverage it, use it for good and make something out of it or else it's just wasted. Damn straight. And nothing's wasted, man, unless you choose for it to be. Totally agree. Well, listen, man, I know we've been talking for a while. I'm respectful of your time here. I know you got a lot going on. Where can people go to find out more about you, follow along, and sign up for coaching if they want to? Oh, man, yeah, I love that part. Um, so absolutely, the best place to find me is LinkedIn. Like, uh, I'm somebody that's still been grassroots, and I never built a website, really, because I've just been LinkedIn is where 70% of the business came from and where most of my messaging comes from. So you can find me on there you know, under Matt Gagnon one, or just search for my name, Matt Gagnon. Um, you'll see a bunch of emoticons, uh, emojis in my headline, but, uh, that's a great place to find me or Matt at lifestorycoaching.net or Instagram at life story coaching. Um, I'm accessible on all of those things, but seriously, if you are interested in exploring a paid coaching relationship and you're tired of feeling like you're not enough, you're tired of feeling stuck in life or you're tired of feeling like, you know, that the success you have looks great on paper, but you're just like, man, I, there's got to be something more to life. Like, I'm your guy. Like, I want to help people with that. If you don't know your value system, like, look, I'm done with all the assessment tests out there. If you're tired of Myers-Briggs and all that stuff, you come see me. I'm going to rip into your soul and tell you who you are. And we'll have a damn good time through the process. So hit me up on that. I'd love to be a part of the journey. I love it, man. Well, I will definitely link out to the LinkedIn and, uh, man, I just appreciate you taking time to jump on call me here. And like I said, I value your time. I know you got a lot going on, but it's, uh, it fills my cup just to sit here and have a conversation with you for an hour and resonate on things that we both experienced and have agreed upon and just share same similar values in. So keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm, I'm proud to have you as a friend. Dude, I'm so blessed to have met you and crystal and to continue to follow you guys. I feel very blessed to be on this show today. Like, look, we all got stuff going on in life, but you make time, you create time for the things that matter. And today this really mattered to me. And so I feel very thankful to be here today. So thank you, Robert. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon, brother. You got it.